Well, I get the privilege of having a wonderful staff. And for the last two weeks, Pastor Alex preached the first Sunday that I was gone. And then uh, Amy preached uh, last Sunday and was able to continue our series on worship. But didn't they do a fantastic job? Can we tell them thank you? Well, I'm going to preach a message. Uh, it's going to be the last of the worship series. And I believe one of the most important things that we've learned over our study of worship is position. And it all boils down to where you are and then where he is. See, there's a me type of worship that's not very productive because we want to maintain control. But there's a him-centered worship, a God-centered worship that puts him in the priority. And as we put him in the priority, God seems to move in miraculous and unbelievable ways. So would you bow your heads and let's pray today, and then we're going to jump right into the, the message called Him or Me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for every moment that we get to come into your presence and the privilege that we have and the honor that we have and the freedoms that we have to express our worship publicly. So Father, today I don't want this to just be a gathering of your people that come in and they do their Sunday thing. Father, what we want to do is fellowship in your presence. So we ask for you to be here. And if you're here, then there's provision for all the needs that are under the sound of my voice. So Father, I ask for an anointing that enables me to be a communicator that speaks the authority of your word. And that God, that you would get glory and fame in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. See, when they were teaching over the last couple of weeks, both of them took you back to the first few pages of the Bible. They took you back to one of the first areas of worship. And this is kind of a worship gone wrong narrative. It's, it's about Cain and Abel. And if you just read the surface of it and you try to apply things that you think you know, you really misappropriate the scripture because a lot of times people will get... Um, they, they say that Cain offered the wrong sacrifices because it needed to be an animal or a blood sacrifice. But you've got to realize, friend, that this is before the Levitical law. There were no rules. Nobody had really set a, aside a rule that said you have to worship this way. You know? And we, both of them mentioned that there was more of an issue. It wasn't about just Cain bringing the scraps and and uh, Abel bringing the firstborn of his flock, and, and it was the priority, it was the heart issue. There was something going on in Cain that wanted him to worship in a me-centered worship style. And you say, well, Pastor, how do you know that? How do you know that he was me-centered? You know what? What happens when you get confronted with some of the issues that are going on in your life? A lot of times when we are brought to the awareness of some of our shortcomings, what happens is, is it may embarrass us and inevitably we get angry. Especially when we know that what they may be saying is true. Amen? So you say, well, what does the Bible say here? Pastor, listen to Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. In the course of time, Cain brought, an offering, brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought an offering of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. 
And so what God was going to do is God is going to set the record straight. He is making Cain aware that he is having a me type of worship. And what me type of worship does is it, it tries to control and tries to assign value. And you have to understand that God is the one that assigns value. We don't assign value. God assigns value. And so Cain was coming and he was just bringing whatever he wanted to bring. It wasn't that he was not worshiping. Touch your neighbor and tell them Cain was worshiping. He was just worshiping with the wrong heart. See, the Bible says they both brought an offering. And Cain got angry when God shows up and he says, Cain, you're going to have to make a decision about who's going to sit on the throne of your heart. Who is going to have authority in your life? Either you are going to have authority or I'm going to have authority. But if you'll do the right thing the right way, if you will take your worship out of me centered and put me in the middle of your worship, I will bless it. He actually comes to Cain and says, hey, why are you mad? I'm the one that should be mad. I've looked into your heart and I found out what little regard you give to me and I should be the one angry, but here you are standing in a prideful position, angry at me for telling you you're doing it wrong. Now the God that you are worshiping is the one that is addressing you and you now are angry at me for telling you I need something more than your scraps from your field. I need your heart. And he tells Cain this. See, there's a, a thing about me-centered worship is when it's all about you, sin ends up dominating your life. God tells Cain, he says, sin is waiting at the door for you, but if you do right, I will have regard for your offering. Now the decision is yours. We know the story. Cain fell prey to me-centered worship, and when he fell prey to me-centered worship, he ends up killing his brother. Now both of them mention this particular passage. See, I think that sometimes we try to manipulate God, that if we do something wrong long enough, He'll accept it and make it right. That's good preaching right there. That's kind of, we could, we could solve a lot of issues within our culture right there. Just find out what God wants and then, you know, well, Pastor, what God wants and what I want may be two different things. And then you have to decide, is this about you or Him? And all of a sudden, we see that Cain goes out. And I have a personal theological position on this. A lot of times people say, well, he killed his brother. I don't think he really was killing his brother as much as he was killing the other way. If you have a right way and a wrong way, and you kill the right way, then the wrong way is the only thing left. And he was trying to manipulate God. But what Amy brought out so eloquently is that God did not now become manipulated by Cain's me-centered worship, that that's the only worship left, because he actually left the presence of God. And Amy brought into the, our awareness that when people were not worshiping, darkness prevailed on the earth. But the sons of Seth started to call upon the name of the Lord again and went from me-centered worship to him-centered worship. And it literally means that they were able to pierce the darkness. Isn't that incredible that people, when we get into the presence of God and it becomes about Him, that we have the authority given to us through Him and enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to pierce the darkness of the enemy. Can somebody again say amen? But then, Pastor Alex had mentioned the week before about a woman. Because I'm kind of building the platform here of the difference between him-centered worship and me-centered worship. And all of a sudden he, he brings into our awareness a woman that was, was going to give this precious offering that Terry sang about this morning. This oil, this alabaster box. But you know what? Before we get to the woman, let's talk about, let's talk about this man named Simon. 
Simon was this Pharisee. And Simon was not only a Pharisee, meaning he had power, privilege, affluence. He had, um, you know, he, he had his life together. He had a career going on. And that sometimes we think that if we have position or title, we can kind of bend the rules. And I'm going to get to that in just a moment. See, Simon was not... Don't misunderstand what Simon was doing because sometimes... Do you ever notice that we have ulterior motives when we want to get into the presence of God? Like we haven't prayed in two years. But you know what? And we haven't graced the church in four years. And, and you know, but yet when the, when the enemy shows up in our lives, we want God to rescue us immediately. Amen? Like somebody's kid goes to jail or, you know, we, we get a, a bad report from a doctor that you may die and, or, or anything like that. Somebody really needs to be healed or somebody really needs to have a transformation in their life. And then all of a sudden we want God right then. Come on, God. You know that I have needs. It's me. I have needs. I know I haven't seen you talk to you or, or visited with you or even worshipped you in a while. But now I got something I need you to do. I need you to come bless me again. I'm in a crisis. Things are happening. My marriage is falling apart. I need you. Okay, we're going to get to that. And that was the attitude of Simon because Simon invited Jesus to dinner not because he wanted to honor him being the Messiah. He thought he was a prophet. And he thought, well, if he's a prophet and he's in my area, if I get connected to the prophet, then he builds my career even more. And I have more legitimacy of, of, of power because I am connected to him. He was wanting to wear Jesus like an accessory. Like that favorite belt or shoes or a purse for you ladies. You know, it's the thing that matches my outfit. We, he wanted Jesus to match his persona of being Simon the Pharisee. And he invited him into his house, but he did not treat him like an honored guest. See, in the tradition of the day, there was supposed to be a servant at the door that every person that walked in, but sometimes when we, it's about us, we forget about the needs of other people and our needs supersede their needs, so we get blinded by the fact that we need something and Simon needed to get a little more ahead in his career, so he assigned no servant to wash feet. See, the custom was that there was a basin there and a servant there and that when a guest come in, they were to kneel down and wash their feet, washing away the residue of the day, washing away the residue of the past and refreshing them for the moment in their future where they were going to break bread together. But Simon provided no servant for Jesus. He really didn't know who he was and the jewelry was still out. He was thinking that he was doing Jesus a favor by inviting him to his house. Like a lot of people think they're doing God a favor by showing up in a place like this on Sunday. And so Alex was so wonderful in his communication. He described this woman as being a mess. And she was. Enter her into the room. Now you're going to delve into Pastor David's uh, personal imagination of this moment which is scary enough because I wasn't there so I have to take scripture and paint the picture in my hair I see this woman she has reputation and the reputation is accurate 
See, Jesus later in the story when he's confronting Simon talks about two people that owed a debt. One owed a little debt and one owed a, owed a big debt and the master forgave both debts. And he said, who loved the most? He said, the one he forgave the most. He said, rightfully you answer, Simon. And he said, this woman, her sins are great. So don't make her a saint. She's a sinner. But she's recognized whose presence she's in. And she's willing to risk some stuff for transformation that allows an opportunity that Simon was not willing to do. See, Simon was not willing to get embarrassed for Jesus. But this woman was willing to do whatever it took. So the moment that she walked in the door, she started fooling with her hair and pulled out the pen that held it together. And in the day that the woman, to remain honorable, had to keep her hair up. But now she's willing to be dishonored for him and she lets her hair go to the ground. And I see this long, dark hair just falling down maybe to her waist. Then here she comes. She's still approaching a mess, a sinner. She's willing to run the risk. She's willing to touch him. She kneels down in the position of servanthood where Simon should have provided a servant. She was willing to be the servant. And all of a sudden she knelt down and started to wash her, his feet with her tears. That means she had to get close enough to put her face in close proximity to somebody's messy feet. But she was willing to do it because she recognized whose feet she was holding. And all of a sudden she started to cry in such compassion because I believe that she was probably in my imagination realizing how holy he was and how unholy she is which provided a, a moment of clarity of identity that allowed her tears to become real and those tears start to wet the feet of Jesus. Then she takes the hair that she was willing to let down and starts to dry them. And then we hear the story talking about she takes the box out. This is probably more than likely her dowry. It's the one. It's the thing that she was supposed to give her husband when she, he decided to marry her. It was probably something that, that oil was meant for her. She was the one that was supposed to put the perfume on to greet her bridegroom. But she realized that she's standing in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and he was more worthy of the oil than she was and so she was not going to reserve anything that was reserved for me she was going to give everything to him Amen. now Simon I'm a, now here's where I preach for a few minutes if you're new here or a guest here buckle up right now it's going to get a little bumpy because we're going to get down to the quick, to the core of things. Some of you have been saved so long that you have forgotten where He rescued you from. You only remember the edited version of who you are right now. But you don't remember the messed up like this woman version you were when you first put His feet in your hands. See, because what happens is, is if you read the narrative closely, you find out that Simon is a leper. That means he's really supposed to be living outside the city, but because he has a title called Pharisee, they're bending the rules for him because he's got power and affluence. And this man has the audacity. So Jesus was breaking the Levitical law just to come into his house. And he has the audacity to say, oh, he ain't a prophet. Because if he is a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this was that was touching him and he wouldn't let her touch, he wouldn't let her touch him. She's a sinner. She's got reputation. She's been touched by everybody in town. I wish I was there. I, for one time, I wish I would have been Jesus. 
Because I'd have looked over at Simon and said, Hey man, why don't you remove your robe and let's find out what's underneath on your skin. You're dying every single day and you're wanting to criticize a woman and criticize me for touching her and allowing her to touch me when somebody should have been touching you. That's good stuff. Because here's the moment. She breaks the box and starts to pour the oil on his head and on, her, on his feet and anointing him for her death. And the Bible records that Jesus mentions that this woman's act of anointing him for his death would be remembered from generation to generation to generation. But what about Simon the powerful? I don't know where I can stand with them filming me on that camera, so I'm going to stay up here, but I'd like to be down there with you because there's a moment here that we need to come to grips with in the modern church. Please do not worship vicariously through people that stand on this stage and don't find out vicariously about God from somebody declaring over a pulpit who he is and what he's all about go into his presence for yourself let me not be revelation but let me be confirmation and don't let anybody sing for you don't let them worship for you. Don't worship vicariously for... Because so many people, they ask themselves and they ask me, Pastor, I come in in one condition and I, you know, I listened and I paid attention and I made a few notes, but I left like I came. The issue is, did you get close enough to touch him? Because I can't rewrite scripture, but I can give an assumption. And I try to make assumptions clear that I may not be right on this. This is an assumption. But I'll assume this with you. I think that if Simon would have taken advantage of the opportunity and not let another woman do the, his act of reverence and his act of honoring the man that come into the room, if he would have been the one touching his feet and crying over his feet, I believe he would have got up the next morning and took off his clothes and looked at himself and said, Hey, where did the leprosy go? Because I don't think leprosy could have survived the touch of the master. I don't think, but he stayed leprous because he let somebody else do the touching. And a lot of times people remain broken because they're not willing to do the touching. They're not willing to get close enough. They're not willing to take the risk. They're not willing to undo their hair. They're not willing to be embarrassed enough. They got a reputation to maintain because you know this is all about me. But when you recognize who he is, now I'm going to take you to one more passage of Scripture found in Chronicles. Chronicles is one of those things that records what was going on. Finally, Israel. Israel is one of these unique nations. And Israel is the chosen people of God. We know that, right? Say amen. amen. But do you know there's more scripture about Israel getting it wrong when it comes to the, the context of worship than getting it right? That scripture is filled with this account of Israel and Israel did not tear down the high places and did not tear down the altars to Baal and they began to worship Asherah poles again and they fell away from God and worshiped Baal and other idols. What's an idol? Because most of you don't have the temptation of going and carving a little figure out of stone or out of wood. But what happens is, is we misunderstand the definition of idol. It's not just a trinket. It's something that a man can create by his own hands and if he can create it by his own hands, he can control it. So sometimes you have to ask yourself, am I sitting in the, on the th seat of authority in my own life? And if I am, then I become an idol. 
because I love me more than I love him. But this is one of those scriptures where Israel gets it right. They're about to dedicate the temple. David has come up with the plan. Solomon, his son, has built it. And let me be the one to tell you, it was not the gold, the silver, the f precious jewels that made this the house of God. Because there's a lot of places around the world. I, I went to Bangkok, Thailand, and I, I went into a temple made for Buddha. And the walls were literally covered in gold, and you could not put your hand in a place on that wall that was not a precious stone, a diamond, a ruby, an emerald. It was one of the most incredible things I'd ever seen as decoration for a room. It was the wealth among wealth. It was everything that I had imagined, gold everywhere. But you know what? The room was empty because it was filled with a stone statue of something that wasn't even alive. The temple was made of all of this precious material but that did not make it the house of God. There was a tent outside the city of Jerusalem at the time that we see the order of the priesthood starting to assemble themselves. The Levites start to walk out of the city of Jerusalem because to get this into the position of being the house of God, the presence of God had to be there. And they were going to the tabernacle to secure the presence of God symbolized by the Ark of the Covenant. Now they had learned some things along the way. A friend had died because they, when you're really wanting to worship and it's all about him and not about you, it is less about your convenience or comfort and it's more about what you are willing to sacrifice to give him glory. See, they had tried to, the convenient way. The convenient way was to put the ark on a cart and let the beast of burden, oxen, horses, or donkeys draw the cart and carry the load. But they found out that there were potholes in the road and one of those potholes shook the cart and the ark almost fell and Yuza touched the ark and he died because the Bible tell, gave specific instructions for nobody to ever touch the ark of the covenant. You say, that's awful harsh. Well... You have to understand, God has principles. He doesn't need anybody to rescue him. And if Uzzah would have lived, he could have said, I rescued God one day. He was about to fall down. No, God doesn't need anybody to rescue him. He's about rescuing you. So the priests go down there and they take these long poles. I wish I had a long pole. Just imagine it with me. They got these like, like long poles and they... They, they, they finally opened the, the veil of the holies of holies into that tabernacle tent, that temporary dwelling. It's the only time they're allowed to go in there. That's it. Only the high priest could go once a year. But these other guys on the poles, they could never go in there except for this moment. And they walk in there and they slide the stick in there. And everybody has to get in unison with one another. Nobody's, nobody's hierarchy. There's no more, I'm, I'm a better priest than you. It's now, we're all going to work together and we're going to kneel down. I love this part of the story. To get underneath the ark, they had to kneel down to put it on their shoulders. It's the only way to get it there. So they all had to kneel down. This is the perfect position for worship. And they put the ark on their shoulders and they lift it up. Now they can feel the weight of the anointing now they feel the pressure of responsibility. Sometimes we want God to do magic when He does miracles. Magic requires no responsibility, but, but miracles require our participation. 
and all of a sudden they feel the weight of the anointing and it's uncomfortable. And now they, they, it, God does not take the intentions out of their mind and out of their heart, but now they have to do something called walking. And now they're putting every step that they take is now an act of obedience because they're doing it the way God said it. So every step now becomes an act of worship. And the more they walk, the more they worship because they're doing exactly what God said to do, how He said to do it. So the position of authority, it's now about Him. I would prefer to put this thing on a cart. That's about me, but about Him, I want to bring Him glory and fame. He says to put it on our shoulders. I want us to not dwell in the presence of the Lord temporarily on Sundays. I want us to get up underneath the anointing of God, put it on our shoulders, and carry it to our living rooms, and carry it to our, our workplaces, and carry it to our community, and carry it to our city, and carry it to our world. And now they, they're, finally, they're finally getting to the place that they've assigned in the center of the temple as the dwelling place, the holies of holies. They're getting God-centered, not me-centered. It's all about Him. And the moment that they put that ark down in its rightful position in between the cherubims, they begin to worship. Now they've already worshipped by walking, but now they've got, the, they've got musicians there. And they've got, they got the priesthood there. And they have gathered all of Israel surrounding this temple. And the Bible says this, when they got God in the center of all they do, listen to what happens. And Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes and the leaders of the fathers of the house of the people of Israel in Jerusalem bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled before the king in the feast in the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came and the Levites took up the ark and they brought the ark uh, out of the tent of meeting and all the holy vessels and that were in the tent and the Levitical priesthood brought them up. You say, well, pastor, that's for other people. No, 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 no. You're the priesthood according to 1 Peter 2 and 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Remember the hymn-centered worshipers are the ones that pierce the darkness? We are the priesthood of 2019, about to go into 2020, to pierce the darkness of this world through the proclamation of the power of Christ Jesus but then they get there and there was nothing in the ark except for the two tablets of Moses so the word of God was there where the Lord made a covenant with his people of Israel when they came out of Egypt and when the priesthood came out of the holy place for all the priests who were presented had consecrated themselves without regard to their division that means they, they put all their titles aside they said me and you are the same today we're just people in the presence of God don't worry about saluting and all of that. Just, just come grab, put, put your shoulder with my shoulder. They didn't care what division they were. <laughs> and all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Heman, and Jedthon, their sons and kinsmen arrayed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, lyres, stood east of the altar, 120 priests who were trumpeters. And it was the duty of the trumpeters and the singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised and the trumpets and the cymbals and the other musical instruments in, the, in praise to the Lord, and they said, For He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. When this becomes about Him and He gets in the right place 
and we quit trying to make CityGate famous, and let's just make Jesus famous, how about it? When it's not just about your needs, but it's about Him. And if you get into, your, into His presence, you'll find out He'll meet your needs. Amen? Huh. The glory fell. And the glory didn't stay contained to the holies of holies, but it went past the veil. And it started entering into the inner courts and the outer courts. And now the people of, of Israel started seeing the glory of God. He's in the right position. He's now in the center of our lives. We now are His people and to Him be glory and honor. And we acknowledge His steadfast love. And they start to worship and sing. And 120 trumpeters are blowing the trumpet. And the cloud keeps extending itself out into the outer courts. And now the people of God are so consumed with the glory of God. They stay 14 days in the city surrounding the temple because the glory of God had inhabited the place. And I don't know how to preach this next... I got like five minutes left and I don't really know which order to do this thing in. All of the teenagers up there in the balcony, I asked for you to be here today knowing that God was going to do something significant that you needed to see and be a part of. And I'm expecting something to happen in second service like it happened in first service. So let me tell you what happened in first service. See, when you get into the glory of God, God's presence provides provision and miracles start to happen. When it becomes less about you and more about Him, it sets a precedent. There was a man sitting about the fourth row over here today. He has been confined to a wheelchair since 2005. He is somewhere in his late 80s or early 90s. And uh, the, the glory of God started to fill the house as we worshiped. And I, 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 we prayed and we worshiped and we prayed and we worshiped. And then all of a sudden uh, we dismissed. And I was standing over here with another gentleman. And a lady started tugging at me and said, Sammy wants you to come over there. And, and I, I said, okay, I'll be right there. So I finished my conversation and I walked over to a man in his late 80s and to early 90s, confined to a wheelchair for over a decade. And he says, Pastor, the glory of God is in this house and I'm going to walk today. And he took 10 steps just like this out of his wheelchair and then sat back down not to be healed from the com confinement of the wheelchair but to let you know God is worthy to put him on your shoulders and take some steps of obedience and allow the glory to fill the house. So let me build a crazy scenario for you as we get ready to worship. What if Jesus would have come today? What if He had told us a month ago that I'm going to come the last Sunday of, of, of November and I'm going to preach? I'm going to, be, I'm going to be the guest speaker. And we had time to market and everything. There wouldn't, be, there wouldn't be a seat in this house. Matter of fact, people would be all out in the yard. We'd have to, put, we'd have to open up doors and stuff. Well, He's here every Sunday, but that, that's, that's, that's not the point. And the Holy Spirit started to convict me about some things, about what part of the crowd I'd be a part of. Because there'd be a large portion of that crowd that come that come to see him do a miracle. They just want to see it. They just want to witness one time in their life a miracle. And then there's another group of people. I even brought my phone for an example. That 
not only would come to see him do a miracle, but they would want to know what he had to say. And so they'd take out their phone and they would live FaceTime him. You know, and then they would go, like if Jesus were right there, they'd go. I mean, at least one time. I mean, I mean nobody's perfect. I, I mean, I might even. And the Holy Spirit kind of convicted me and said to me, David, so you would be one that would want him to see him do another thing that you already know he can do. Or you want him to say something that he's already said. Because he was bringing me to the awareness that a lot of people would come and sit in his presence, but nobody, where would we worship? And, he, and the Holy Spirit brought me to a place of, of this awareness. And I thought to myself, wow, what would I have done? And now that I have revelation, I would think that this should be the headline. Jesus, come to City Gate. And there was an overwhelming, innumerable crowd. And they sang songs that were about Him. But then he stood and somebody in the balcony way out back toward the back screamed out to the top of their lungs, Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. That somebody ignited a fire that three other people stood up and said, Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raise this life up from the dead. And then 10 people stood up and then a thousand people stood up and they realized it wasn't about what he could do, but it was about what he already did at the cross of Calvary, that they wouldn't even be in the room if he had not been who he is. So they start to worship and for 14 straight days, he never got a chance to speak because they kept, uh, kept screaming to the top of their lungs in acts of worship. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. See, somebody would want to be impressed with a trick, not me. Somebody may need to see him heal somebody to believe in him, but not me. Somebody would have wanted him to say words of wisdom that were profound and eternal, but not me. I just wanted to go back to the place where I remember where he found me. See, a lot of times you see the pastor up here, but I am not David Pleasant the pastor. That is not my identity. I am David Pleasant the man that was broken and messed up on the beaches of Panama City that knelt down in a position of compromise, of mercy, and said, God, I don't even love myself, but I keep hearing that you love me. Will you forgive me of my sins and transform my life and that God that is in the pages of this book showed up on the sands of a beach and redeemed a young man's life and then I don't go to being a pastor then then I go to being David Pleasant the husband that if I love God get in his presence and take up the enough enough responsibility of the anointing I'll be able to love my wife right and then it, then I'm David Pleasant the father that I want to be a worshiper in front of my children that they don't have to worry about watching somebody else worship but they can watch a dad that can't carry a tune in a bucket stand up and to declare oh praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead see in that moment where he becomes the central theme of it all 
His glory will fill this house just like it filled the temple in Jerusalem. And in that glory, there's nothing that is impossible. We're going to pray for Paul in just a few minutes, but I think we should worship first. See, he's fixing to have heart valve surgery. And he's already got a list of medical situations that seem insurmountable. But I believe in his presence. I believe in a moment's time we could pray. If a man in his 80s could stand up and walk 10 steps out of a wheelchair after a decade of sitting. Maybe that's what he was walking about. Maybe he was saying, you know, somebody's going to need a miracle. And somebody's going to need to know that somebody still believes in the one that can raise one from the dead. Amen. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite you to stand. And now it's about participation. Who's going to get saved? Whose life is going to be healed? Whose brokenness is going to be made whole as we worship? Because if we worship, He will come. His glory will... I'm going to give you grace on the first course. Maybe you don't know the song. Maybe you don't know the tune. So the first verse, we're going to listen to them sing. But then after the first verse, we're going to sing. And we're going to drown them out because there's more of us than there is of them. And before you say, I can't sing, that's about you. Are you willing to take down your hair? Are you willing to go touch somebody's feet? Are you willing to shed a few tears? Because if we're willing to do that, we become the woman and our worship becomes about Him. And we don't care what other, the person next to us hears us sound like. Because to, to Him, His ears, it's an ovation of worship, of praise that declares who He is with the authority of, of what He deserves. Amen? So let's worship together before we pray.